welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through verse 35. Please get out your Bible and follow along. What can we learn from the resurrection of Messiah? How much trust should we have in the things promised in Scripture? How certain should we be that Yeshua Messiah is alive and real and working in the lives of his followers? What does Messiah think about our unbelief? Why should we be bold to share our testimonies of the living Lord? And what is Eliyahu ben David's testimony of the day that he saw Messiah? Stay tuned throughout today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on these questions and more in Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through verse 25. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David. He is alive. That does change everything. We want to focus on a couple of things here. First of all is the certainty of the scriptures. You know, in this world we live in, you can't even count all the lies. Like every direction you look in, people are lying to you. You know it. You got one place you can look and find the truth. That's in his word of truth. And that's certain. And the other thing is the certainty of the living Lord. Yeshua is alive. And he's there for you. Here as this section begins in chapter 24, It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they'd prepared. That's Monday, right? Or Sunday? I guess it depends. You know, some people say Monday's the first day of the week. Some people say Sunday's the first day of the week. The church has said Sunday's the first day of the week. But, you know, really, the scripture doesn't say that. It says, on the first day of the Sabbaton, A sabbaton is not the same thing as the Roman week, which didn't come into use until 
the third or fourth century. And the sabaton is a Sabbath cycle. So what it's actually saying here is the first day of the Sabbath cycle. And as we know, all of the days that are appointments, which includes the Sabbath, are fixed by the sighting of the new moon. And this is in Leviticus. We, you can see this, Leviticus 23. And so because of this, Sabbath can fall on various days, depending on what is happening with the moon. doesn't have to be on a Sunday. And therefore, the first day of the week is technically incorrect. But realize it's the translation into English that's incorrect. It's not the scripture. It does tell you, though, you have to do some research, don't you, to really understand the scripture. Well, it goes on and it talks about the women who came to prepare the body of Yeshua. And when they got there, they found the stone rolled away. They entered in and Yeshua's body wasn't there. In the book of Matthew, it tells us the reason the stone was rolled away is because angels actually had rolled away the stone. And I believe Matthew's account knows this because he must have got it from the guards. He says that the guards shook and became like dead men when this happened. Angels are very intimidating if they intend to be. Even if they don't. I mean, you notice what these women did, right? They're practically on their face immediately. They are very amazing, powerful beings. So it goes on here, and it tells us that angels were still there. So maybe this was shortly after the stone was rolled away, and they stood there in dazzling clothing, and... They told the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? Do you know heaven is amazed at our unbelief? That's what that verse is telling you. It's like the angels are thinking, hey, he told you this is going to happen. Why are you so amazed at this? It's just a matter of fact, right? If he tells it to you, it's just true. They should know that. And then he goes on and he reminds them. He says, remember what he told you. Do you and I remember what he told us? Sometimes we don't. You know, sometimes we'll have a very spiritual moment when Yeshua makes something clear to us where he gives us revelation that's life-changing. And yet we can very easily do what these women did, what the disciples did. We can sink into a place where we don't really remember it. And we want to do our best not to let that happen. Because the things he reveals to us are things we need to remember. So anyway, the angels repeated what Yeshua had said. 
including that he would be raised on the third day. And this was the third day. So if the stone is rolled away, what does that mean? They already knew everything they needed to know that he was raised from the dead. That's basically what the angel was saying. Was the angel scolding them? I don't think so. I think this was just true amazement on the part of the angel at the people. You know, a lot of times we as people are amazed at angels, but sometimes they're amazed at us. I think that's kind of interesting. And not just in a negative way either, sometimes in a positive way. But that's another story. So anyway, they remembered. Oh, yeah, I remember now. And so they returned from the tomb, went back to the 11 and the other believers, and told them the whole story. And that Yeshua had been raised. Now then it says they were Mary Magdalene, Johanna, and Mary the mother of Jacob. From the other Gospels, we could add to that list Salome, whose first name was also Mary, the mother of the apostles James and John. Well, they told these things to the emissaries. And being the spiritual giants that they were as apostles, of course, they immediately believed and rejoiced. Not. That's not what they did. It says, it all seemed like nonsense and they didn't believe. I'm really glad that's in there. <laughs> because, to me, it really validates this whole story. If these apostles just made this story up, what you would have had is the spiritual giants who believed, right? But instead, you have this real human reaction. The reaction that you and I may have sometimes in perhaps some of our weaker moments, a reaction of unbelief. Sometimes that's the first reaction that people might have. And I think it's a good thing to realize that the apostles had that, because maybe it gives us a little room to feel that we can grow too, like they did. It tells us Peter got up and he ran to the tomb and he went in to see what happened and he saw the linens lying there. And then he believed. No, it doesn't say that. It says he wondered what happened. Well, elsewhere, we had two disciples who were walking to the village of Emmaus, which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem, which is not a long way. So as they're walking, it says they talked with each other about all of these things which had happened. Of course they did. They had just happened. What else would you talk about? That's what they're talking about. And while they talked and questioned, they're wondering too, right? 
Yeshua himself came near and went with them. So they're walking on the road. They're talking about him, his death and resurrection. He walks up and is just walking along with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Do you know Yeshua is with you sometimes and you don't realize it? You don't see it? For the same reason that happened to them. They're focused on something else. That happens. So, Yeshua starts engaging with them about these events that happened. And they tell him all about what happened to Yeshua the Nazarene, not even thinking they're talking to Yeshua the Nazarene. But why would they? Because he's dead, right? And basically ending up saying, well, we had put our hope in the fact that he was going to be the one to come and redeem Israel. And this is why they're sad. And then they relate to him about the women and what happened at the tomb. Yeshua called them foolish. Does Yeshua really talk to people like that? I thought he was just nice all the time. Does he really talk to people like that? Call them foolish? If you read the Gospels, he does that quite a lot. You know, sometimes we need to just hear it like it is, don't we? Foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. These are probably two of the best men in Judea. If they are foolish and slow of heart to believe, what about the rest? What about you and me? Do you ever have moments of doubt that there's going to be a remnant exodus? What about the scriptures? Isn't that equally covered by the prophets? Aren't we slow to believe the prophets sometimes? Messiah thinks that's foolish to be slow to believe the prophets because the prophets are always telling the truth. They're always telling the word of Yahweh and everything that Yahweh says comes to pass. The scriptures can't be broken. That's why Yeshua called them foolish. And the prophets said that Messiah had to suffer these things to enter into his glory. And then Yeshua explained the whole thing, starting from the Torah and moving forward through the scriptures, explaining all about Messiah to them. I think that's pretty awesome. I think a lot of us 
would love to be those disciples. I'd love to take a seven and a half mile walk with Yeshua, have him tell me how foolish I am, and explain it all to me. Wouldn't you? What a blessing. What an amazing testimony those disciples had. But you know, it wasn't over because as they got close to Emmaus, Yeshua started to walk on like he had another destination, but they urged him to come with them. And I think that's kind of neat because they still didn't know it was Yeshua, but they didn't want to let him go. So he came, and it says he sat down at the table with them. He took the bread and gave thanks. Breaking it, he gave to them. I love that. The Messiah raised from the dead, giving thanks to his father and breaking bread with these men. You know, it's so simple. It's so much what we always do. He was so much like every other man, even now after he was raised. The experience is so real. You know, he didn't have like, this halo thing around his head or something. He didn't look like some kind of a monk or a super religious person or something. It was just like a real situation, like a family. And it was in the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And when they recognized him, he vanished out of their sight. Well, that's not something that's so normal, is it? And they said, weren't our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us along the way and while he opened the scriptures to us. When he opens the scriptures to you, your heart burns, doesn't it? Not a bad kind of burn. It has to be him. Now, this is why we have all these big seminaries and stuff. And they use scholarly methods to study the scriptures. And I'm not opposed to that as far as it will take you, okay? But human reasoning will only take you just so far. And then after that, if you keep going down that path, after the point you need revelation, you're going to get things all messed up. And this is what they do. This is what happens. We need revelation from Yeshua. 
We need him to open the scriptures to us. That's what happened. Well, they went back to see the apostles, and they told them, Adonai is risen. They were believers now, weren't they? They related the things that happened along the way and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. I think that's kind of cool because out of all of that that we just read, the only thing it brings back here is that they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. I think that's profound because not only does that speak of the breaking of his body, but it also speaks of fellowship. This is where we recognize him, isn't it? When we enter into fellowship with him, this is where we see him. It's not just the big head trip. All of that is great. <laughs> it really is. I love it. I love all that. But that's not where you meet him. Where you meet him is in the breaking of the bread, in the fellowship with him. And he is so willing to be there for us. There really are many other believers who have had supernatural experiences. In fact, I believe that all believers have had supernatural experiences. You know, it just might not be something you've seen with your eyes, like these men on the road to Emmaus. It might be an internal thing in your heart where he's changed you, where he's answered your prayers in your life. These are supernatural events. And yeah, if you tell people in the world about those events, they'll say, oh, well, that was a coincidence, or that happened because of this, or that happened because of that. They won't see it, but that doesn't make it any less supernatural. Every single believer is experiencing something supernatural. He is alive, and this is my testimony. Part of it. Doing this lesson, I just was kind of felt convicted that these women, they went and they testified to the resurrection of Yeshua. And then these men who were Yeshua's relatives that he was walking with to Emmaus, they believed and they testified. And so I feel that too. It's really hard to know where to start because the Lord has been part of my life all my life, as far as I can remember. And the word was always enough for me to believe. I always believed as far back as I remember. And I was immersed in 1966 
And I was a believer on the basis of the scriptures. And that was enough. I didn't need anything else. I didn't think. You know, he's the one that ultimately decides what you need, though. The truth is, I did labor under religion for a number of years. And I put it that way because I think there's a lot of religious people who religiously believe that Christ rose from the dead. And I'm not criticizing that because that's so much better than all the people that don't believe. But it's different than having an experience of Yeshua where he becomes a person to you and not just a biblical figure. And I think I've told people, told all of you, about my own experience, how eventually I got so burnt out on religion and my inability to make that connection that I got angry at God and I threw my Bible across the room and I said, I'm just done with this because no matter how hard I work to please you, it just never seems to be enough. What I didn't understand is that all the work I was doing was for the religion, not what he told me to do. I did it for him, though. I have to say that. But it was what the religion told me I had to do. So, you know what? That wasn't acceptable to him. So he was just waiting for me to get my head together and get where I needed to be. So... I went through a series of experiences. You know, it's interesting, too. When I did that, when I like threw my Bible across the room and told them basically to get off my case, he would be fully justified in just saying, well, okay, I'm done with you. He didn't do that. The whole time while I was in this like searching mode, he was there. It was kind of like standing at a distance, but kind of orchestrating things in my life to help me along, to get where I needed to be. One day, I just saw it. You know, I saw what he was doing. And I realized that He really did love me. And I realized I needed that more than anything. But I still wasn't quite there. What finally brought it together for me was the dream I had on my birthday in 1981. In my dream, I saw just the weirdest thing. And I've explained my whole dream before, so I'm not going to go through it all right now. 
But basically, it was telling me that I'm called to set people free. And that not everybody I want to have free is going to be free. And it was really a call to my mission. And it was vivid and it was compelling. And it was very scary. Because I had come to a place already where I gave up. It seemed like too much. So I really labored with this over a course of three days. And at the end of three days, where I came to was realizing <laughs> that I couldn't really do anything. And the only way that I could answer this call would be if I could be sure that he would be in it all the way, no matter how much I messed it up. So after three days, I went to him in prayer. And basically, that's what I told him. And he gave me a vision. I say a vision because I'm wide awake, and suddenly I'm standing in the middle of this arid desert. And it felt like a desert. It was hot and arid. And it stretched out like this in every direction all the way around. And I was totally, basically caught there. Imagine yourself in the middle of a desert. You know, it's, there's no place you can go. There's no door out of the desert. And when people are caught in the middle of the desert, many times they're in fear of their life. I hadn't gotten there yet. The truth is, where I was at at first is I was kind of amazed about this. What had happened. And I knew it was God, because this can't happen any other way, right? And so I looked around, and I saw all this, and I was amazed by it. And as I looked around, suddenly I kind of noticed these stones scattered around as far as I can see. Now, in this picture, you have some stones scattered, so it kind of gives you the idea, except that the stones that I was seeing were actually indications that there had been cut stones there, shaped stones that had belonged to something. But they were mostly covered with sand, covered with, you know, like dry grass, things like that. So at first it wasn't obvious, but then suddenly it became obvious that these stones had been something. It was like ruins of something. 
And I was wondering, what is this that I'm looking at? And I heard the words, this is the temple of God. And I just felt a pain just shoot right through me. And I just felt broken by that. And I felt trapped. I felt guilty. I felt strangely like it was my fault. And I could not escape. And I cried out to the Son of God in heaven, asking him to speak for me before the throne. Before I could finish that prayer, even that sentence, I was actually seeing a vision into heaven of Yeshua standing before the throne for me. And everything changed. I just was immersed in his amazing love, in his spirit. And the thing is about it is it felt like something real soaking right into my body. And my mind was being affected because you know what he was doing? Is he was opening the scriptures to me. And this was like accelerated what was going on in my head. And what I believe now, after these many years have gone by, is that he was, by his Holy Spirit, downloading into me everything that I was going to need for my ministry. Every new insight, every new teaching, every revelation that I've ever had, ever will have, it's all in there already because he put it in there on that day, just waiting for the time to draw it out. He did that. Yeshua did that. And he couldn't do that if he wasn't alive, could he? He's very much alive to me. You know, the way it happened, too, was so amazing because it's like the way that he did it. It's like he was waiting right there at the throne. And just as soon as I even thought to ask him to speak for me, he's already doing it. He was that desirous of doing it and was just waiting for me to catch up and had done everything needed to get me to that point to do it. I was a person that believed the scriptures, but I still couldn't put it together. 
mostly because I had a bunch of junk inside of me that religion had dumped into me. And he found a way to break in in the midst of that. To bring me to a place where I just had to give it over to him. And that's where it all started for me, for this ministry. Well, I have another testimony that happened the same year of 1981. He did a lot that first year. And I can't really even share it all with you. But one thing that happened in 1981 was President Anwar Sadat of Egypt was assassinated. And on that day, October 6, 1981, I went into my living room, turned on the TV, and saw the whole thing on TV. The news had video, breaking news. They actually showed it happening. And Anwar Sadat was not anything special to me. You know, I thought it was great that he made a peace treaty with Israel. But this isn't really about him. The reason that I mention him is because... This event that I'm about to tell you about happened on that same day that he was assassinated. So because of that, I can remember the exact day that it happened, which was October 6, 1981. What happened is, after watching the news and so on, you know, back then I worked nights. So I went to get some sleep. And while I'm laying in my bed... I'm having another vision. Now, you might think I'm just having visions all the time, right? But in between, I wasn't having visions all the time. But anyway, I had a vision. What I saw was the earth and space and Yeshua at the front of a long line of angels all riding horses, white horses. And they were like spiraling down towards the earth. They're in the spiral pattern, spiraling down towards the earth. And as I continued to look, I got closer. And I saw, suddenly, I wasn't watching anymore. In the vision, I was there. And Yeshua was riding a white horse in the front. And I was riding a white horse behind, but next to him. And this really 
freaked me out. In fact, I was so upset, I did start crying. I thought it meant that I had failed in my mission and he was calling me home. That's what I really thought. So I was really upset. Not because I thought I was going to die, which, you know, I wouldn't be thrilled about that either. But the very thought that I could fail at my mission with him and that he'd have to call me home was just devastating. So he kind of left me in that for a while. And then one day I was driving in my truck by the university that wasn't too far from my house. And I still remember I'm making this turn by the university. And he spoke to me in what, to me, was an audible voice. I don't know whether it was actually audible. I didn't have anybody with me. But to me, it was an audible voice. And he said, you're riding with me right now. Like, you fool, don't you get it? You're riding with me right now. Well, I was very elated and very happy, but I still didn't really totally understand what he was talking about, but it seemed good. It seemed good. These things were to help to clear the way for me in my ministry. That's why he was doing this. You know, these kinds of things are not, he doesn't do this just because well, this guy's more holy than this other guy, so I'm going to do this stuff. No. Everything Yeshua does is about the Father's will and purpose. So that's all it means. It's about the Father's will and purpose. He did this because it was the Father's will. It was for the Father's will was to help me to get to the place I needed to be in order to move forward. He wanted me to know I was riding a white horse right next to him. And I was headed to the end of the age, just like he is. So some of you folks might think I'm a little too fixated on the end of the age. Maybe now you understand the reason. I'm an end-of-the-age man. I'm riding. I'm getting kind of white myself. But I believe that I'm going to get there. So that's another time that Yeshua spoke to me. And very real. Now I'm going to tell you about a third time 
which happened a few years later. This happened in 1984. And I can't even tell you all of this because it's a pretty complex story <laughs> as to what happened. Essentially, if I kind of boil this down, I was impressed by the spirit that I would soon need to be doing the Lord's Supper. And I was confused about this. I didn't really know exactly what was happening. But I decided I better be prepared. So I bought some matzah and some wine, Passover wine, and I put it in my van. And then I went about my business and forgot it was even there. And some time went by. I don't know how long, days or maybe even a week or two. And I had some other events unfold. And at that time, I used to have a cleaning service. And there was this one company that was an account of mine, and I had people to work. I had employees that did this account at night. Normally, all that was fine, and they did that. Well, at the last minute on this one night, all of them, I think there's like three or four of them, all called me up and they all said they couldn't come into work. They all had something. I can't remember what it was now, but none of them could go to work. So I tried to call some other employees of mine. Nothing worked. So finally, I went in myself. And I was going to do the work of these three or four other people. And as I walked down the corridor in this account, which was a factory, there was this old woman there that I knew. And, you know, just from work there. And she spoke to me. And she said, it's time for you to meet the Lord on the mountaintop. And she says, don't you know that when men of God meet God, they always go to meet him on the mountaintop? And I heard her, and I could think that she was a silly old woman, but through her voice, I heard the Lord speaking. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I did know being in there to work is not where I should be. So, right about the time that happened, while I'm in this quandary, well, what am I going to do about my account? This guy comes in who had been an employee of mine. And he was saying, you know, I was just thinking I would come in and see if you had any work. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And I told him what needed to be done, and we could pare it down a certain amount, and he could get it done. He had worked for me before. He already knew this account. I knew that he was a good worker and could do it. 
So I left him to do the account. And I headed off in my van. I went out to the ocean. I'd spent a lot of time in the ocean talking to the Lord at the ocean. That's what I used to do. And I'm sitting there praying, trying to seek the Lord's will. What is it that he's wanting to do? And then he reminded me, I told you to take the Lord's Supper. Well, to me, I always thought the Lord's Supper was a group activity, you know? But this time, he just wanted me to do it with him. So I didn't understand that. But I went back to my office, and I took the Lord's Supper. I poured myself a glass of wine for the Lord's Supper. Took some matzah, broke it, did exactly the same thing, essentially, that I do with you every Passover, just with me and the Lord. The only difference is there was nobody else there. So I drank that small glass of wine, and I ate all the matzah. And then I fell asleep. And while I was sleeping, I had a dream about this guy that had come to work, that was working for me. And in the dream, I was witnessing to him, telling him the gospel, the good news. And in the dream, he gets saved right then. Finally, I woke up. I went to tell another person who I knew would be up, was now getting into near sunrise, wasn't sunrise yet, about these events. And determined to head out to the ocean. So this other person was with me. I'm not giving names of people because I haven't asked anybody for permission to do that. But what happened was, as I was driving to the ocean, there's this just wonderful road that goes out to the ocean. It's very green there, and it has this stone wall. And as I'm driving by, as I'm Coming up, I'm seeing a man sitting on the wall. And I realize it was Yeshua sitting there on the wall. That's not something you see every day driving by. I don't even know how that's possible. But he was sitting there, and he looked embarrassingly like the Jesus that everybody has seen. 
I really would like him to look different than that. Because the whole religious thing, right? But he looked surprisingly like that Jesus. He had a part down the middle of his hair, reddish brown hair, long kind of nose, beard that kind of goes into two little points on it. And he's sitting there and he looks like a guy, all right? No angels were sitting there. There was no halo around his head. Looks like a guy who happens to be Yeshua sitting on that wall. And he's wearing normal clothes, pants and a shirt, all completely normal, except for the fact, and I don't know how this is possible, but he's sitting there and there is not the hint of a wrinkle in any of his clothes. His shirt, his pants, how do you sit down without getting a wrinkle in your pants? There was not a wrinkle anywhere in his clothes. I don't know what that means, but I just thought it was amazing. All this happened very quickly. And as I'm going by, my foot is moving, okay? To put my foot on the brake. The person who's with me looks at me and says, why are you stopping? Just as soon as I put my foot on the brake, the figure on the wall did exactly what happened with the men on the road to Emmaus. Vanished out of my sight. And this other person said to me, you saw the Lord, didn't you? And I said, did you see him too? And they said, no, I didn't, but somehow I knew you did. When you have an experience like that, people either believe you or they don't, right? When those two disciples came back from the road to Emmaus, you either believe them or not. This was my experience. So what happened later? I kept going. I went to the ocean, took care of business there, prayed. Yeshua revealed some things to me that I needed to know. I went home, and the phone rings. It's now about 8 in the morning, maybe, possibly 7. I can't remember exactly. And the person on the other end of the phone said something to the effect, you know, I, this is really awkward for me because I've never had anything like this happen to me before. But the Lord spoke to me and he gave me some things to say to you. And I'm sorry if I'm keeping you from going to bed and you know, all kinds of apologies about it all. And I'm saying, well, what did he say? That's what I want to know. Don't worry. 
perfectly fine. What did he say? And they said three things. And they said, I don't really know what they mean. Fulfilling dreams. Treasures yet unknown to man. And a rock to stand on. Well, after that, I had to go and meet the man that had been a temporary worker for me. I had promised I would take him home. So I brought him home. On the way home, I got in a conversation with him, and I started sharing the gospel with him speaking some truth into his life. And he put faith in Yeshua. And as I drove home, I thought about all of these things, and I thought about this word, fulfilling dreams. And I'm thinking, wow, that just happened. And that has kept happening. Dreams I've been having for years. I see them fulfilled. Treasures yet unknown to man. We've had those. We'll have more. And Yeshua, our living Lord, our rock to stand on. So that's kind of like my guiding light. <laughs> from him. He is alive. And this is my testimony of that fact. John 20, 28 through 29, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Yeshua said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Every person who has never had any experiences like what I shared, who has put their faith in him and believed, is blessed. They're just as much saved as anybody that does have these experiences. And that's not why I'm sharing it, to say that I'm the spiritual guy and People who haven't had these experiences are not. I'm sure those men who were on the road to Emmaus, they weren't doing that either. They had a real experience of Yeshua, and they wanted to share it. It was their testimony. We all have a testimony, and it's important. And other people can benefit from our testimony. It's hard sometimes to be bold, to share your testimony. But when you feel moved to do it, do it. Because somebody needs to hear it.
You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced in today's program are Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through verse 35, Leviticus chapter 23. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2 through verse 4, and John chapter 20, verse 28 through verse 29. Further teachings and study materials on Yeshua Messiah as the King of Israel, how Gentile believers are grafted into Israel according to Scripture, the Sabbath and the original calendar of the Bible, according to scripture. The prophesied remnant exodus in the last days. The role of the remnant of Israel in the last days. Bible prophecy. The resurrection of Yeshua. The hope of the resurrection and eternal life. The prophetic significance of Eliyahu's life and testimony. The Davidic covenant and the role of the house of David among the body of believers, the kingdom order that Messiah Yeshua continues to use, worshiping God instead of dead religion, how to walk in the Holy Spirit and receive revelation from Messiah yourself by acting in obedience to Him, the judgment that is coming on the earth and Messiah's return at the end of the age, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom! Stand at the crossroads and look Ask for the ancient paths He is the fast fruit of the resurrection Would you like to hear more of Eliyahu's teachings? Do you have a question or prayer request and would like to get in touch with one of our volunteers for help? Or do you just want to know more about Eliyahu Ben David and Zion Ministry? Visit our website at zion.org where you can listen to more teachings from Eliyahu Ben David straight from the homepage of our website. Check out our books, DVDs, internet videos, and other social media outlets. Learn more about Eliyahu and the Zion team on the About page. See what our ministry's mission is on the Remnant Vision page. Send a question or prayer request from our Contact Us page. 
or click join us in the menu bar to learn about our community site, Zion Tabernacle. To find out more about Zion Ministry, go to zion.org. That's zion.org, spelled T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G.